Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry we're, we're a little giddy uh, today because we just remembered we have leftover pizza in the fridge. Leftover pizza and we're going to see Maria Bamford. Oh, that's right, Maria Bamford. Tonight I... Uh... I hadn't forgotten about it, but I was just so focused on pizza. No, I understand. Maria Bamford is my very favorite comedian. I love her. She's my spirit animal. And um, so we're going to see her perform live tonight, and I'm just about as jacked up as I can be. Not only is she hilarious, but she owns pugs, so golf clap. (laughs) Plus, she's uh, an amazing advocate for those who struggle with mental illness, and you know the stigma in... She's great. She's just great. So yeah, very excited about that. And I'm also excited that it's a little bit cooler today. And uh, so it's not going to be like all sticky and gross as we're making our way there, which yeah. is nice. Mm. It was so hot the other day when um, when we were recording. And then after when we were recording and I went to the convenience store and I met that man, a man that I told you about. Oh, crazy man. A man. Um, well, 4th so- of July, you're going to run into some drunkards. <laughs> It's going to happen. So I was at the convenience store and this guy comes up behind me and he goes, whoa. And I just well, turned around. and You I, were wearing your nice butt jeans. That's true. But they were. it was very humid. So they were just sagging down to my knees at that point. There was nothing <laughs> nice about it. But we had just such a, 
a rich tapestry of conversation in in like 30 seconds. It was magical. It just launched from um, how he was getting a great deal on sandwiches to how he's actually from hell Um, and then lived in California for a while. (laughs) Then uh, he really likes my hair. Uh Uh, He wanted to know about my um, kitty self-defense keychain, said that I could not hurt him because he was already in so much pain. (laughs) <laughs> and I assume that's from having been in hell, but I, you know, it's hard to tell. Yeah. It's hard to tell. You know, I think it's important to get to know the neighbors. Right. Yeah. yeah. Some more than others. <laughs> you know, is, that is a strange little spot though. That, that, uh, it's a, it's a privately owned convenience store. It's not like a, one of those chain ones. So it's mm-hmm. like just a guy who sells all kinds of weird stuff in the store. Yeah. And they're, they're a wonderful family. Oh. I love them immensely. One time they gave me naan and I will never forget that. Naan bread. Yeah. Yeah, just for those who aren't familiar with Indian cuisine. Okay. Um, but I see some uh, some interesting people in there for sure. Uh, and they buy weird combinations of things. I, I was standing in line behind one guy, and he was buying personal lubricant and a tire pressure gauge. And I, I couldn't help but wonder if they were related. He's got chores. <laughs> yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> Theboxofoddities.com. That's a place where you can go and find out all kinds of stuff. Uh, We're about to put a link on there to uh, a brand new social media account that we started, uh, Goodreads, which is a great place to go and find access to some of the books that we talk about or we draw our information from. Right. We'd had a couple people ask like, hey, what was that book? Or can you get a link to that book? And um, we just thought this would be a really good way to kind of archive all of them. Of course, I've added like four at this point, yeah, but yeah. there will be more. Right. And you can find it on, on on Goodreads. And the account is Kat and Jethro? Yes. Okay. And you can find it by way of our email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. So you go first this time. Excellent. Okay. Okay, then. Almost all of the information that I got today was from Wikipedia and allthatsinteresting.com. All right. So let me introduce you to a lovely couple named Walburga Dolly Osterich and uh, her husband, Fred. Well, they sound like a lovely couple. I did have to look up how to pronounce it, and I'm pretty sure I still mispronounced it. Hold on. Osterich. Of course. <laughs> That's like the the uber German way of saying it. So let's just say Dolly. Okay, then. We'll go with Dolly. Dolly and Fred were married. Uh, Dolly's in her 30s. Fred is very successful. He's a wealthy textile manufacturer. And Dolly is bored, (laughs) basically. Okay. Fred works long hours. Fred's not meeting Dolly's needs. Ah. So one day in 1913, uh, Dolly's sewing machine wasn't working, and uh, so Fred got a repairman from his factory to head on over to fix the the sewing machine. This sounds like the making of a really early porn film. I mean, you're right on track here. (laughs) Okay. All right. Awesome. The young man that showed up was uh, Otto Sanhuber. Brown chicken, brown cow, brown chicken, 17 years old. And... The young man met Dolly as she welcomed him into the home wearing just a robe and stockings. Uh-huh. Um, yes, I, I, I hear that your sewing machine needs some fixing, ma'am. May I come in? Yes, they launched immediately into a sexual relationship. Uh, it took no time at all. Really? So they were meeting outside in hotels, usually, and after a while, 
people started noticing that Otto was coming in and out of the house. <laughs> of the house. <clears throat> yeah. uh-huh. um, frequently. Because neighbors are nosy. Is that, is that a Victorian phrase, by the way? <laughs> coming in and out of the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Dolly started telling people that this was her vagabond half-brother. Uh, but he realized, they both realized pretty quickly that this was not going to work out. So Dolly decided that Otto should just take up residence in the attic. <laughs> And that way he'd never be spotted coming or going because he would never leave. Most importantly, not spotted coming. Right. <clears throat> no money shots for us. So Otto quit his job at the factory and uh, he just went to live in the attic <laughs> of the uh, Dolly and Fred home. He did have an opportunity to work on his craft. He wanted to write pulp novels. So he just stayed upstairs and worked on his books. And uh, he would read by candlelight. He would write stories of adventure and lust. And then during the day, he'd do it with Dolly and help her keep house. Also, he made bathtub gin. Bathtub gin. That's my favorite kind of gin. The gin that has a distinctive hint of um, Calgon. <laughs> I don't know. For as much as I like gin, it could be made anywhere and it would still taste like gin. Uh-huh. I just okay. no thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm, pine. This situation, this arrangement went on for five years. What? Otto lived in the attic. Dolly would... Get her needs met. And uh, Fred didn't really know what was going on. Uh, Fred's an oblivious guy, apparently. Well, there are rumors that he was a bit of a drinker himself. Okay. Um, maybe she kept him supplied with bathtub gin. I don't know. Could be. Could be. But uh, he, he, yeah, pretty oblivious is a really good term because, yeah, five years. Eventually, though, Fred said that they were going to sell the house and move to Los Angeles. And Dolly was like, what? Because she really liked this setup. It worked out well for Dolly. So she really took over the search for the new home. And Fred was cool with this, I guess, because he was drunk. I don't know. (laughs) And so she found a house on Sunset Boulevard with an attic, which I guess in Los Angeles, attics aren't as popular as they are here. Yeah, the the architecture in Los Angeles is uh, more of a um, more of a Spanish colonial kind of uh, feel the to Spanish it. Spanish don't have things that they need to put upstairs. I don't recall seeing a lot of Spanish colonial attics. No. <laughs> so they uh, picked out this house, perfect house with an attic hideaway, and Otto moved first. Otto got all of his whatever he had in that attic and moved out west got set up in the new house before fred and dolly made their way out west and uh then everything resumed the way it had until august 22nd 1922 when when fred had to go up to the attic to get his tools <laughs> i don't think fred did a lot of tooling oh. which is why dolly had an auto in the first place what? <laughs> Oh, what a, did they keep, sex jokes? Did they did they keep anything up there like Christmas decorations or anything? It's like, uh, where's the tree stand? Uh, I'll go get it. You know. Yeah. Suddenly, you're very helpful with attic things, Dolly. There is no word on what else they stored in their attic other than lavas. 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 Now keep in mind 
that this has been going on for years and Otto might be suffering a bit mentally because one day he hears Dolly and Fred having an argument so he launches downstairs with a gun and uh, once Fred recognizes that Otto is from the factory I'm imagining there was some there were some questions yeah 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 what are you doing in my dining room with uh, some personal lubricant and a tire pressure gauge (laughs) you're confusing stories oh that's right So a fight ensued, and Fred was shot. Otto and Dolly came up with a plan. Uh, Otto snagged Fred's watch to make it look like a botched robbery. Mm -hmm. And then he locked Dolly in the closet and tossed the key. So when the police arrived, they found Dolly locked in a closet. They found Fred shot. And they, they didn't know. Otto was back up in the attic. Hmm. Dolly told them that a burglar had taken place, that a robber shot Fred, took some expensive belongings, and uh, they had no way to prove that it wasn't true, especially since she was locked in a closet. Yeah, but think about that for a minute. Otto shoots a guy, kills him, right, and Mm -hmm. then helps stage this false murder scene. And then he goes back to the attic? Yeah. That must have been one secure attic. It's a safe place. So the police have nothing to go on. Right. And Dolly's a widow. She has a substantial amount of money to work with. She decides that she wants to move out of this home. She buys a new house, and she thinks that eventually things will calm down and that Otto and she can start like a normal relationship, you know, outside of the attic. (laughs) So Dolly moved, and Otto moved into... The attic? The attic. Oh, boy. She still made him live in the attic. No. She moved in with him? What? No. What? He moved into the attic. He did not want to live in the regular house. He was like, nope, an attic's where I be, ma'am. Thank you very much. Wow, it's like almost like a Stockholm Syndrome kind of thing. Well, that's the thing. Um, and we'll, we'll get to this in, in just a bit. So Otto had... Um, was able to get a few pulp stories published. And with the money, he purchased a typewriter to keep writing. And Dolly was feeling unsatisfied. Oh, no. So she took on a lover. Oh, my God. Did, he, Lo- did she move that guy into the attic, too? No, maybe maybe he, he could help Otto correlate his pages. One lover per attic. Uh, her new lover was lawyer Herman S. Shapiro, but Shapiro was constantly at work, just like her ex-husband was, or I shouldn't say ex, uh, dead. Her, her dead husband was. So Dolly was not satisfied. No. Enter Roy Clum. Oh, Roy Clum. Roy was needed to keep Dolly satisfied for when Herman wasn't able to keep her satisfied because of when Otto wasn't able to keep her satisfied. Wow. Duh. She had quite a libido. She had something. Probably several things. It is thought that Dolly was somewhat open with this new guy, Clum, and that Clum was able to get rid of the guns that were used to shoot Fred. Dolly broke up with Clum a little while later, and he went to the police. So he was a, what's that word? Informant. No. What's the word when you're you're scorned? He was a scorned lover at this point. And he was like, these guns, something fishy was up, meet mop moop. And so the police <laughs> went to the tar pits where Clum had uh, dumped the guns and uh, took Dolly into custody. Dolly's in jail. Right. 
She's very upset. Mm -hmm. And she's talking to her second lover, Shapiro. And she says, you have to go buy groceries for Otto because he's in the ceiling. And uh, (laughs) you need to get him some food. (laughs) He's a ceiling lover. Ah. Mm, 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 But uh, when Otto and lawyer guy met, you know, Otto had been alone for some time. And so he was feeling chatty and they talked. They spilled the tea. Oh, I thought you said they were going to become lovers. I thought that's what you were going to say. That would have been awesome. It would have been awesome. It would have been awesome. Two addict lovers. Getting it on, no dolly needed. Ah. I'm sorry, where was I? Just about to tell us about the gay attic relationship. Okay. Shapiro was not uh, turned off by this at all. In fact, he told Otto to get because he was going to be Dolly's only lover at this point. It was very strange. <laughs> Dolly Charges against Dolly were dropped. That is until seven years later when Dolly and Shapiro argued and really things broke down so then shapiro scorned Uh went to the police warrants were issued again and dolly and otto were both arrested they found uh, otto guilty of manslaughter even after it was brought out in court that otto felt like he was being held hostage so there is this this Uh subtext that dolly was very possibly holding him against his will. Wow, that's that's an interesting twist. Plus he was a minor when she uh yeah. started having yep. diddle time with yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, that's rape lady. The trial became known as the Batman case because what? Otto lived in a cave-like attic. Oh. <laughs> was that the inspiration for the DC comic classic? <laughs> mm. I don't think so. Otto, though, was set free because the statute of limitations had run out. Dolly did go on trial for a conspiracy charge, but also walked free after a hung jury. And the indictment was eventually dropped. Uh, but that hung jury was really appealing to Dolly. Oh, my God. Hung? <laughs> you are so gross. <laughs> no. Chica, chica. You know. And she lived out the rest of her life uh, uh, until the ripe old age of 80 in 1961 when she died. The end. Thank you. That was a lovely story. Thank you. I have so many questions, though. I know. Okay. Me too. Let me see if I can help with any of them. Please go. Okay. So she first met this guy in 1913. Is that what you said? Yes. So this adventure went on for nearly 50 years. The charges against her were dropped in 1936. So the whole lover to lover to attic to lover to attic, attic lover sitch went on for like 20 years. Okay, all right. Um, but she died in 1961. Ah, uh, got you. And it, to me, it would seem awfully hard to prove that I was a hostage being held against my will in an attic when I had several published novels. It just doesn't seem likely to me. Sure, but you don't know what mentally his state was. You know how true. You don't know. There's Stockholm syndrome. There's just plain gaslighting. <sighs> if he came from a situation where he had already been abused, then she could very easily have 
set up this scenario where she was the only one that could ever love him yeah, and so right. she, he had to live you know it, it, it's all very creepy yeah it's it's really hard to uh to make a judgment on uh on on auto situation i guess but uh it but it seems to me if he moved out of one house mm-hmm. and and moved into another one ahead of them mm-hmm. that uh he wasn't being forced to do it no again that physically restrained no but But maybe mentally mentally and emotionally i mean there have been many cases of children and that you know more vulnerable than a 17 year old sure but um you know who have had plenty of opportunities to yell in public or you know whatever but they're they've just been so mind mind washed (laughs) they've been just so brainwashed that that it doesn't even seem like an option because where would they go if nobody wants them that's incredibly sad. It's terribly sad, but that's what that's what manipulators do. It's mm. it's evil and I am firmly against it. You know, now you bring that up, it's so often the case that the the manipulatee um doesn't know that they're being manipulated. They don't even realize it. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it takes somebody from the outside to tap them on the shoulder and say, "Hey." Right. "Hey." So if you know anybody like that, tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, or if you know anybody living in someone's attic. Right. This is like a metaphor for like every abusive relationship. She literally isolated him from anyone who could protect him from that abuse. If that is indeed the case. Again, we don't know what went on between them, you know, but that's what that's what abusers do. They isolate you. Maybe not in their attic. Yeah. But <clears throat> you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the story of Dolly and her attic lover. He's an attic, attic lover. lover. You knew where I was going with that. It's time for that thing in the middle. It began as that stuff that didn't seem to fit anywhere else. It's become that thing in the middle. Today on That Thing in the Middle, insanely weird items that have been donated to Goodwill. These are things that people have actually found at Goodwill. See, I think this is amusing because anytime I donate something to a secondhand store, I always worry about the quality of it. I'm like, oh, I don't know. This sweater has some pilling. (laughs) Well, apparently it didn't uh, bother this person too much when they donated number five, a coffin. Yep. Used or? It doesn't say. It it does not look used in the photo that I am uh, glancing at. But that's definitely a question I would ask. Sure. Because it's going to affect the resale value. Number four, a live grenade. I mean. And number three, if you get the live grenade, a loaded grenade launcher. Yes, in Tampa, Florida, employees made a rather unpleasant discovery in the donation bin. A completely loaded live grenade launcher. They called authorities who disposed of it properly, which is what you should do when you find a live grenade launcher. Number two, grandma's ashes. Wait a minute. Folks at Goodwill uh, had to double check a very suspicious urn-looking flower pot. Uh, Turns out, actually an urn. Turns out, actually filled with human remains. And number one, a box full of old used dentures multiple dentures multiple dentures in a box oh this is wow here's a bonus one for you on the bookshelf they 
Oh man, this looks like this book, based on the style of the uh, illustrations, probably from the 50s. And there, here's a book called Play Activities for the Retarded Child. Oh no. Uh, times have changed, and not always for the worse. I don't, I don't even like that you just said that. Not every box in the world should be open. Just, you know, the odd ones. This is The Box of Oddities. Curator at theboxofoddities.com is our email address. You can also contact us through our website, theboxofoddities.com, just like Simi did. Listening to you two just makes my day. I'm laughing and cringing uh, within moments, even in the midst of my worst days. When problem solving, each time someone drops an unusual phrase, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And thankfully, not often. Um, I always wonder where on earth that phrase came from. Being a cat owner, I've never looked it up because I'm afraid of the images. Yeah, I, I sympathize with that. So what's the uh, origin of that phrase or the origin of this unsettling phrase and others? Like throw the baby out with the bathwater. Looking forward to what you might turn up, Simi. We've talked about this so many times. And filled so many hours discussing yep. <laughs> where various phrases come from. In fact, that's you know on my list of things to talk about. And there are so many. I don't think that there's any reason why we both shouldn't do it at some point. Did I steal another one of your potential topics? You did. Uh, but I it's did. fine. We can both do it. It's fine. Okay. Well, to answer your question about skinning a, skinning a cat, uh, there's really no definitive explanation for that. One uh, excerpt from English Language and Usage Stack Exchange cites the possibility regarding the origin. Uh, given the early use of the phrase, it could have originated in the U.S. in the Deep South, where catfish are often referred to as cats and are skinned before eaten. Oh, good. So it's not a real kitty. At least I choose to believe this. I just don't understand what the purpose would be of skinning a cat. Um, so, yeah. okay. Yeah. And as far as the baby being thrown out with the bathwater, um, that originated from around the 1700s where people would take one bath a year. That was the practice. And the water became so gunky. They would start with uh, the man, of course, got to go first, and then it would be descending order, and the baby would be the last one to bathe, and they used the same water, and so by the time the baby got its bath, the water was so murky that it would have been easy to throw the baby out with the bath water. Here's the thing, is the babies are the most susceptible to anything that's going to be in that water, and it just seems like 100% the wrong choice. It should go the other way. Yes, I would agree with that. (sighs) Here are some of the origins, the historical origins of some of the phrases that we say every day and don't even really know where they came from. And some of these phrases, the origins are a little bit gruesome. Or at the very least, disturbing. I am prepared. All right. In the 13th century Britain. I love 13th century Britain. (laughs) Under the reign, I should say, of Henry III, there was a statute called the Assize of Bread and Ale, which stated that bakers could lose their hands selling their customers lighter bread if the loaves were of lesser quality or they didn't weigh as much much as they should. Oh. Because it was, it was hard to make all loaves exactly the same. Bakers would throw in a small piece of extra bread when they sold a loaf uh, to a customer. Or if they ordered 12 loaves, they would uh, include an extra loaf. And that is how we came to use the phrase a baker's dozen. Baker's dozen. This comes from Business Insider, believe it or not. I do believe it. It's one of the favorite publications of 13th century bakers. Kind of their trade mag. 
After the, after the Spanish conquered Moorish lands in 1834, the aristocratic Castile families wanted to uh, separate themselves from, you know, the commoners. They wanted to make sure that they were looked at as uncontaminated by Moorish or Jewish blood. Oh, gross. And because their complexions were, were fair, they could, you could see the veins in their arms. And hence the phrase blue blood came yeah. to be. I knew it. Knew that's where you were going with that one. So that's a racist statement. It's super racist. During the late 1600s in England, a very popular form of public entertainment was uh, the Punch and Judy puppet shows. I don't understand it, but yeah. okay. Yeah. Puppet shows became a staple in England during this time. And uh, there were two puppets. There was Punch and there was Judy. And the plot line uh, usually followed the same theme. Something would anger Punch and he would go on a, a bloodthirsty killing spree. Sure. He would murder everyone with his, quote, a slapstick approach. Uh, he would usually kill his child first, then his hysterical wife, Judy. And then any authority figure, a policeman or a doctor, maybe even an unconcerned citizen who uh, came to investigate. And then he would laugh and he would say, that's the way to do it. That was like a 16th century puppet catchphrase. Like just killing everyone, yeah. that was the way to do That's it. That's the way to do it. You know, I didn't know about Punch and Judy until I saw Gone Girl, and then you explained Punch and Judy to me, and I still don't understand it. Well, after he would kill everybody, he would be very happy and laugh. Sure. And, and that is where the phrase, pleased as punch, comes from. Oh my goodness. It's pretty messed up. It really is. That's yeah. upsetting. But you know, Punch and Judy, uh, they still do the shows in England. <sighs> yeah. I don't know if they promote the whole wife beating thing quite so much but uh but yeah they're still popular but then again i don't get nascar racing so <laughs> you know i don't have to like everything on the anglo-norman battlefield often a cry would be heard a cry that uh that meant soldiers could go on an unlimited slaughter uh destruction and plundering spree uh there was one word that they would cry out and uh that word was havoc that was the Anglo-Norman battlefield cry that meant you could just go and do whatever you wanted. Havoc. Under the reign of King Richard II in the 14th century, the cry was outlawed. And those who raised it or answered it or were beheaded. And that is where we get the phrase wreak havoc from. That's fascinating. I did not know that. During the Civil War, there was a, a horrific prison camp built. It was a Confederate prison camp. It's called Andersonville. You've mm -hmm. probably heard about it. It was built to accommodate uh, 10,000 people in a stockade surrounded by tall pines. At its peak, they had like twenty-five to 30,000 people oh, in this. Where was the fire department? Now, the problem was the, the wall, the stockade was, was just logs. Mm. And so the prisoners were always very tempted to just climb over them and leave. Right. So they built a second fence inside of the first fence, it was built 20 feet away from the surrounding walls to stop anybody from climbing over or tunneling under. You could not go near the deadline. They called it the deadline because if you if you went near it, they would shoot you dead. And yeah. that's where we get the phrase deadline. There was another one that we were talking about. I think that was from this exact same origin. 
Only it had to do with a, a river that flowed through? Well, well uh, the story that I remember telling you when I was reading about this uh, a while ago was the, there was a, a, a stream that ran through the center of Andersonville mm. uh, prison. And the deadline went right across the stream. And unfortunately, because they just didn't have the facilities, they used that stream for not only drinking water, but for, a, you know, like an open cesspool. Right. And the water on the other side of the deadline was always fresher. People would even get shot for reaching under it to try to get fresh water. Just putting their arm under it, they would they'd be shot dead. Try to get some some scoop scooped up not poop water. Yeah, I don't want poop water. Yeah. Oh, that's like a grass is always greener on the other side of the fence thing. Only it's the water is cleaner on the other side of the shit stream. <laughs> It's very sad. I remember my grandmother used to say that all the time. Yeah. What was that uh, thing that she had in her kitchen that I loved so much that kept the flour and such? It had a name like a Herbert or a Milford or no, it was a um, Wilbom. It's a Hoosier cupboard. Hoosier cupboard. Yeah. I loved that thing. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad you knew what I was talking yeah. about. <laughs> We have a very unique relationship in the sense that uh, we both kind of know exactly where the other one is going in a conversation. Cat will say, what's that song that goes, and I'll go, Tusk by Fleetwood Mac? And she'll say, yes, that's it. <laughs> that's actually, a, a, that actually one of the exact yeah, examples. That, that did happen. In 17, or in, rather in 1876, during the election, unfortunately, well, this was after the Civil War, and unfortunately, at the time, uh, Southern Democrats were very involved in intimidating black voters. Right. They didn't want them to vote. Right. And so at the time, giving a person a dose was slang for whipping them or beating them. Oh. And when you really beat somebody, you were giving them the dose of the bull, which is a severe flogging. If you got a bulldoze, the term was quickly appropriated uh, by racists who violently terrorized African-Americans during the 1876 U.S. presidential election. Bulldozing. Bulldozing was to beat and intimidate African-Americans from voting. The phrase evolved into bulldoze. And when a machine was finally invented that used brutal force to push things over and, and go through any obstacle, it was called the bulldozer. Oh, that's gross. I didn't know that at all. So bulldoze has racist origins. That's horrible. It is indeed. And, you know, using dirty tactics and intimidation to keep voters from the polls is such a such a bygone yeah, I'm kind so glad, of practice. I'm so glad that doesn't happen. <laughs> that never happens. No, no. <laughs> um, <sighs> Just real quickly, some other ones. In uh, 1886, Prime Minister Robert Gascoigne Cecil, Lord Salisbury, surprisingly made Arthur Balfour Chief Secretary of Ireland. Okay. Uh, what was unusual about that was that it was his nephew and he had absolutely no qualifications for that job. Oh, nepotism. That never happens today either. No, I'm so glad we're past all these things. Uh-uh. But that was the origin of the phrase, well, Bob's your uncle. Oh. Mm -hmm. In ancient times, urine was used in tanneries to soak the animal hides. Mm -hmm. You knew that, right? Yep. 
And a way for very poor people to make a few pennies was to sell their urine. Hence the phrase, piss poor. Oh, wow. I love that one. Because it had the word piss in it. (laughs) Now, this one surprised me because I thought I knew what it meant, but I'm totally wrong. Uh, A ship's cannonballs back in the day uh, used to be stacked on a brass structure that was called a monkey. And the brass would contract in Arctic temperatures when the Arctic explorers would go through there. Mm -hmm. And the cannonballs would fall off. And uh, that's where the phrase cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey came from. I've never heard that phrase. You've never heard that phrase? No. Oh, my God. In the Middle Ages, often peasants were forced to eat leftover bits. Bits? bits From um, the slaughterhouse. You know entrails and ears and scrotums. Sure, hot dogs. Basically, yes. It was called offal, O-F-F-A-L, or umbles, U-M-B-L-E-S. If you ate umbles pie, then you were doing something below one's dignity. It's not humble pie? It turned into humble pie. Interesting. But originally it was umbles pie. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah, I didn't know that either. And finally, this comes from the book Strange History. We'll put this on our Goodreads account if you want to check it out for yourself. Socrates, probably the most celebrated philosopher who ever lived. And we have Plato to thank for that. In the work Phaedo, Plato uh, transcripted conversations between Socrates and his students, including Plato himself. During Socrates' final days, and just before he was executed, in 399 BC for, quote, corrupting the Greek youth. Corruption? I'm so glad that we don't have anything like that going on these days. It's a much better time. In one section of Phaedo, Socrates declares that he is fine with dying. He's come to terms with his impending death. And he is at peace with it to such a degree that he is actually having a good time. I'm enjoying my final days. I have accepted my death, and I'm just going to live as happily as I can for what time I have. He tells mm-hmm. his friends that he has, quote, as much the spirit of prophecy as do the swans. For they, when they perceive that they must die, having sung all their life long, do then sing more and more sweetly than ever, rejoicing in the thought that they are about to go away. Socrates was so revered after he died that, quote, frequently was repeated uh, by other philosophers and writers such as Chaucer and Shakespeare. But that's where we get the term swan song today. It basically means a triumphant final performance before death or retirement. The only thing is that um, swans don't, don't sing, they honk. But nonetheless, it's the thought that matters. It's a nice honk, though. It is a nice honk. Honk. And so I thought that was a, a good one to end with. My own swan song. Ah, before you surrender to that sweet good night. That's lovely. Oh, that was fun. I want to know where my aunt's phrase, it's better than getting poked in the ass with a frozen carrot, came from. I'm beginning to think that maybe she made that up. It's very possible. Your family is very colorful. They are some of the most fun people I've ever met, and oh, yeah, they're they're great. I, I love I love your your family stories. My my grandmother, 
my grandmother who uh, lived to be 92 mm-hmm. and was just as sharp as a tack right till the, the very end. Always prim, always proper. Uh, the first time I met her, she just had some sort of major surgery. I don't remember what it was. Yeah. And she was, we had to wait a couple of minutes to go and visit her so she could put on her khakis and her button up and her pearls and put a little rouge on. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of lady. She's that, just so perfect. She's, she's wonderful. But uh, I am just a hot mess all the time and I've never had surgery. <laughs> they, uh, a bunch of my family, including my grandmother, who was getting up there in years at this time, went to see a horror film. And they're all sitting there, and my grandmother's all prim and proper. And and then there was one of those gotcha fright moments in the film, and she just yells out, Jesus Christ! (laughs) (laughs) Bless her heart. Miss her so much. Oh, yeah, we could do a whole show on family stories, couldn't we? Oh, my gosh, we should. Theboxofoddities.com. Check us out, uh, all our social media. If you've got fun family stories, we want to hear them. Yes, we do. Curator at theboxofoddities.com. You can find us also on Instagram, Facebook, and Facebook, and what's the other one? Twitter. Twitter and Goodreads. And Goodreads, apparently. So we'll see you Thursday. Until then, keep flying that free flag. Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2018 All rights reserved Chick-a-boom, chick-a-boom Don't you just Chick-a-boom, chick-a-boom, boom, boom Uh-oh, oh, yeah Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.